right, good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. It's coming Thursday, whether you're ready or not. Who's got their, uh, their food shopping done for their menu for Thursday already? Raise your hand. Let's see. I'm going to put mine down because ours is not done either. That's okay. So you're forgiven. Go hit up Walmart or Dillon's this week, whatever you need to do. Get that taken care of. But enjoy some of that time with your family. Take this week to really sit back and reflect on what God's blessed you with. Um, it's a wonderful time of the year to do that. Don't skip straight to Christmas like many of us do. Uh, take some time to, to thank God for what he's blessed you with. Um, if you're new with us, let me just say welcome. My name's Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. And I just want to say we're glad you're here. I'd love to meet you afterwards. I'm going to be in the connection point, which is just out in the lobby. So pop by there. I've got a little gift I'd love to give you and uh, just be able to meet you and visit with you a little bit. Um, before we jump in today, we've got a lot to cover, but I wanted to uh, celebrate something with you. Um, you know, for the month of November, um, our push has been, and our vision here at the church is always bringing life to our community. And one of the ways that we did that in the month of November is we actually had our tags out there in the lobby where we were uh, doing our Thanksgiving outreach in support of Emmaus House. You guys did a wonderful, wonderful job um, of taking those. I think we ended up somewhere in the neighborhood of 140 uh, different families that were blessed because of your generosity. But here's what I thought was really cool. On Friday, there was an article in the paper uh, from the Emmaus House director. Her name's Brittany. I think it's Brittany Knoll. And uh, they interviewed her. And this is what she said. She said, we've been at this for 40 years. So Emmaus House has been there for 40 years. They've been doing collections for Thanksgiving and Christmas for all these years. She said, this was the first year we've ever had enough food to feed everybody that came in and asked for it. Can we, and that's because of you guys. Seriously, let's celebrate together that. One of, our, um, one of our elders had popped in there, I think it was on Wednesday, and he gave me a quick call, and he said, I was taking my food over there uh, for, the, for the donation, and uh, the guy who was doing the intake, he said, we've just been blown away by the amount of Bible Christian church people that have been over here bringing food. So I just want to say thank you uh, for looking outside yourself, being willing to bring life to our community, and caring about the city that's around us. That just reflects the love of Jesus um, in ways that we'll never even know the ends of it. Uh, but I just want to say thank you for that, so good job on that. Um, as you got your bulletin when you came in today. If you got one of those, there's a little insert in there about elders. We talked about them a bit last week. We're going to be voting on those in a couple of weeks. And um, I'm really excited about the men that you guys have nominated. Our congregation uh, nominates those men. And so the ones that you see, you've got Solomon Chris, Jim Myers, Jerome Green, and Mitch Schneider. And there's a little blurb about each of them uh, on that sheet you'll find in the bulletin. And if you didn't get one, grab one in the lobby um, afterwards. But uh, I'll just tell you, we're very excited about these men. Our elders have interviewed them and vetted them. And uh, I'll just say, I'm so excited um, and, and just fully support these four men and really excited to see what God's going to do through their servant leadership here in 2020 uh, and beyond. So um, now if you're new with us, we've been in a series called The Story. Everyone say The Story. Who's got their story Bibles in here today? You guys still reading ahead? Everybody's, come on, let's put them up in the air. Here we go. Oh man, oh, we got to do better than that. All right, there we go. There's a few more people. There we go. That's good. If you want to pick one of these up, there's a few left out in the lobby. If you want to grab one of those, we've still got people each week that are picking those up. But if you're new, essentially what we're doing is we're covering all the key stories in Scripture, starting in Genesis in the Garden and going all the way through to Revelation. Um, and so today actually marks the halfway point in our series, believe it or not. Uh, this will be week 15. And so uh, we're going to jump into week 15, talk about one of those specific kings there. But before we do, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into the word God has for us for today. Lord God, we're grateful for um, your mercy, God, that is more. God, we're thankful that your mercies are new every single morning, that you never run out, you're never in short supply. And uh, God, we ask for that mercy today. We ask for your grace today. And um, as we open your word, as we look at the precious truth um, that lies in your word, God, let us uh, have a clear assessment of our own hearts and of our own lives. And um, Father, I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would rebuke us and help us to change in the ways that you want us to uh, adjust in our lives. And we ask, um, as always, God, that you would help us to leave this morning uh, changed uh, and more like you. 
uh, and not the same. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you picture an idol, what do you see? When you picture an idol, what do you see? Your mind might go back to that old Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, right, with Indiana Jones and that little golden thing that he tries to take off of that stand and the big ball comes rolling after. Maybe you picture that. Maybe you picture uh, maybe a, a, a figure carved from stone or from wood or uh, maybe you even picture uh, a golden calf like we see the children of Israel worshiping over and over and over. And I think all of those would be true. Those are definitely true representations of idols. You might go to a foreign country. Maybe you've done a missions trip and you've seen Uh, some of the figurines and things like that and trees and objects um, that are idols for various cultures. And again, I think all of those things would be true. But the tricky thing is those idols are really easy to spot and put our finger on, but the idols in our lives many times are not, aren't they? Like it's really hard for us sometimes to say, okay, this is an idol in my life. We can point fingers at the objects and the figurines and such of other cultures, but it's hard for us to spot the ones in our lives. And so what I thought we'd do as we begin today is figure out how we can spot the idols that are in our lives and in our hearts that sit on the throne of our hearts. So before we do that, let's define what an idol is. If you're you're taking notes, sir, you can write this down. An idol is anything that you value more than God, okay? Anything that you value more than God. It's, we could say it like this. It's a good thing, a blessing from God, a good thing that's become a God thing. Um, It's a misordering of the priorities in your life. And I would guess your idols, much like mine, are probably not figurines carved from stone or from wood, but they're idols nonetheless. I also think many times when we look at other cultures in other countries, or maybe we look at the the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, it's easy for us to stand back in judgment and kind of point fingers at them and and kind of scoff at them. You know what I mean? Like, really, children of Israel, like another golden calf? I mean, how many times are we going to have to go through this whole, like, you know, regiment here where you worship it and then they boil it down and make you drink it? Like, really, another golden calf? Or maybe we look at them and we say, you know, that, that God that they worship, the false god named Molech, that required them to kill their babies and put their babies in the palms of his fiery hands. We say, how could you sacrifice and kill your children? How could you give your children to a false god or an idol? But as we look at our lives, parents, how many times have we sacrificed the lives of our children because of our hobbies or because of our career or because of our job or that next deal that we just had to put together? And we sacrifice, and I would just submit to you that we're not that different, we and them. You know, you might look at them and the God that we're going to talk about today, the false God they worship, was called Baal. Everyone say Baal. Kind of a funny name, all right? B-A-A-L. We're going to get to him in a minute. But Baal, they looked at him and they worshiped him, that false God, that idol, because they thought he was the one that brought the rain for their crops. He was this God of fertility. And they thought, hey, if we pray to him, we worship him, then he'll give us the rain we need. We'll get the crops that we need. We'll have the sustenance and the physical nourishment and provision that we need. And we look at him, we say, how could you worship an idol like that to take care of your physical needs? And yet, for us here in America, how many times do we worship our dollars and cents or our bank account because we think that's where our physical needs are met. Am I right? Yes or no? Yeah. See, we're not that different, us and the people that are worshiping these various idols here in the Old Testament or here in the story today. 
Now, I made a list of a few things that could be idols in our lives, and I want to read them to you. Now, this is by no means an all-inclusive list, so you can add yours on to the end of this because yours is probably custom to you. But here's a, a few general ones that I think have the ability to steal the focus from God who should be on the throne of our hearts and kind of get us misordered in our priorities. Here's some things. Some things we make idols are things like our families. Um, and that one kind of goes uh, unnoticed. That one's almost like a noble idol, isn't it? Like, oh, you care for your family. You take care of your family. You, you love your children. And I'm not saying that's wrong. You should do those things. But when we elevate that good thing to a place of a God thing, that's when it becomes an idol. And I think for many of us, if we're honest, our families can become an idol. Uh, for some of us, our careers are an idol. Our bank accounts are an idol. Our hobbies can be idols. Our children's sporting events and our children's opportunities can quit quickly, quickly become idols. Our appearance can be an idol. The way people view us, our, 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 uh, the approval that they give us, our reputation can be an idol. Respect, power, traditions, and preferences. Those things that we value, those things that we love, whether it's about life or church or whatever it is, those traditions can quickly become an idol that are elevated above worshiping God and God alone. Spending can be an idol. Saving can be an idol. Eating can be an idol. Dieting and working out and being fit can be an idol. And the list could go on and on and on. So I would just ask you to, to, to add yours on to the end of that list. But all of us face idols. And here's why this is important for our story today. All throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, God pleading with his people to return from their idolatry, don't we? And when we're 15 chapters into the story, we're almost through most of the Old Testament stories that we're going to cover for this whole series. And just about every single week, what is God saying to his people? What's the chief offense that they're committing to, to against Almighty God? It's idolatry. They're forgetting what God's done for them, taking him off the throne of their heart, and they're chasing after all these various false gods and idols. They're constantly being pulled away from their first love, Yahweh, and they're falling into idolatry. Now, the king that we're going to talk about today a little bit, his name is Ahab. Everyone say Ahab. Now, the Bible tells us this king Ahab, now he was king, remember last week the kingdom was divided? We had, we had uh, Rehoboam who led the southern kingdom and Jeroboam who took the larger northern kingdom. This king that we're talking about today, when I say he's over the nation of Israel, he's leading the northern kingdom, the large mass of the nation of Israel is who he's leading. But the Bible tells us about Ahab, it says that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of the other kings before him. Now, one of those evil things he did, you saw in the video, it was taking that lady Jezebel as his wife. That was one of his evil things because she did a lot of terrible stuff. She killed a lot of people. It wasn't good. And Ahab, he was complicit with it. He went right along with it, and he did a lot of evil things. But I would submit to you, for our purposes today, the thing that made him do more evil in the sight of the Lord than any of the others was how he encouraged the people of God, the nation of Israel, into idolatry. He built temples to Baal. He set up high places for them to worship these various idols, and he pushed them into um, a great season of idolatry. Now, as we look at the passage today, we're going to be on, in the story, page 203. If you've got your traditional Bible, it's going to be 1 Kings 17, verse 1. We're going to see three principles that are true about idols. They were true during this time, whenever Ahab was king, and they're absolutely true for us today. So you guys ready to go get it? Yes or no? Okay, good. That was like five of you. That's awesome. Let's go. All right. The story, page 203. Now, Elijah the Tishbite. Everyone say Tishbite. That's just a really funny word. I just wanted to hear you say it, okay? Um, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. 
that's all we know about Elijah, by the way. Like, we have no idea past that where he came from. We don't have a lot of backstory on him. And it's interesting, at the end of his life, you saw in the video, he's taken up into a chariot back into heaven. So, like, he comes on the scene in, like, you know, in a moment, and he's out of, out, of his, out of the picture in just a moment as well in that chariot of fire. Uh, we do know that his name means Yahweh is God, which I think is interesting uh, based on what we're going to talk about today. The man whose name means Yahweh is God is going to go confront Israel about worshiping false gods and turning away from Yahweh, the one true God. But here's what he does. Elijah the Tishbite, from Tishbe and Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there'll be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now pause there for a minute. That's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big thing to say to a king. God is going to bring a drought on you, and this is why it's important. Because the king was looked to as the one who brought the rain and brought the prosperity. It's much like uh, the way we look at presidents today, okay? As you look at a president today, if, he has a, if there's a terrible economy underneath the rule of a given president, they, who do they bash? They bash the president, okay? If there's a great economy under a given president, then who do they praise? Usually, unless it's this year when the economy is good and they just want to bash Trump. But I'm not going to go there, I promise. I'm not going there. Like, that really, like, that, that you praise the president when it's good, you bash the president when it's bad, okay? And all the people said, amen, yeah, right? That's what's happening here. When the rain doesn't come, it wasn't that he could make the rain come out of the heavens, but that when he honored the correct deities, when he was worshiping the right gods, so to speak, they would bring the rain that would bring them the prosperity that they saw in their kingdom. So Ahab going before them and doing what he's doing is very dangerous in the first place, and it's an insult uh, to Ahab and his reign. And this initial act of judgment from God is really meant to get the attention of the people of Israel. You might remember back when we talked about Ruth and Boaz and that whole story a few weeks, uh, I guess it's been about a month ago. Uh, we talked about how the drought was what forced that family initially, uh, uh, Naomi and her family, to move. Uh, God used it as an act of judgment, and he's doing the same thing here in the story. Unfortunately, it's not enough to get Ahab and the people's attention. So keep going. Page 203, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I'll send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. So this drought goes on for a few years here, and then God says, okay, go back and talk to Ahab again. Again, very dangerous here. Um, in fact, um, if you read between the lines here a bit, if you go back into 1 Kings 17 and read the end of it, you actually find that Ahab has sent out countless people trying to find Elijah during this period of time because he wanted to kill him, because he was angry about the drought that he had brought on the nation. So again, very dangerous, but he goes and he presents himself to Ahab, and this is what he says. When Ahab, or when he saw Elijah, um, Ahab said to him, is that you, troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Everyone say, followed the Baals. See, Elijah right here is calling Ahab and the nation of Israel out on their idolatry. He says, you're worshiping false gods and idols. That's what's troubling the country, not me. I'm just the messenger. And we all know the expression, you don't shoot the 
Exactly, right? That's what Elijah's screaming here today. He's like, look, I'm just bringing you a message. You're the one, your actions, Israel's actions are what's bringing this trouble on the land. Now, the gods that they were worshiping here, there was a couple of them, but we're going to talk about one today, and it was Baal. I've mentioned a couple things about him already, so I won't spend too much time here, but essentially Baal was a universal god of fertility. Now, when you think fertility, don't think having babies. Think uh, making the crops prosperous, bringing the rain. In fact, Baal's name was the rainmaker or the Lord of the rain and the dew. His other name was, uh, what, what do they call him? He who rides in the clouds, which was also interesting that that's how Elijah got taken back up into heaven. That was just a little jab at Baal in that story as he, how he goes out. But this whole thing with uh, the drought coming is a slap in the face to this God, Baal. This is God jabbing at him and saying, look, you guys think Baal is the one providing for you, but I'm actually the one who controls the rain, and I can turn this faucet on and off anytime I want to, but this is the God that they're worshiping. Now, Asherah was another one you're going to hear mentioned here. She was a goddess that, as well that it was worshipped. Anytime you hear Asherah poles, okay, this, this is what it's talking about. For our purposes today, just know it was another, yet another false god, yet another idol that Jezebel and Ahab had introduced to the people to worship in place of the one true God. But here's the principle I want you to see first. If you're taking notes, number one is this. Idols can easily invade your heart. Idols can easily invade your heart. Now, I use that word invade intentionally because an invasion, listen closely, is when someone takes position in a place that wasn't intended to be theirs. And this is exactly what happens in our hearts. It's exactly what happened in the people's hearts here. You see, the people that were now worshiping Baal, the, the people of Israel were ones who knew what God had done for them. They knew the stories. Many of them might have even seen things that God had done, the God of glory, Yahweh had done. And yet they chose to reject him. And in their rejection of him, uh, idols invaded their hearts. Now, there's a truth kind of built into this as well, this first principle. And it's this. Your hearts and my hearts, the hearts of the people of Israel, all of our hearts were designed to worship. Everyone say worship. Now, when we say worship, don't think music and guitars and singing and that kind of thing. Now, that's part of it, okay? That's, that's part of what we're doing here. That's worship music. But when you think worship, think uh, what you're ascribing value or worth to, okay? Now, even if you're here today and you're not a Christian, your heart is actually worshiping something even if you don't consider yourself religious. Because everything we say, everything we think, everything we do with our lives, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, all of it attributes worth to something. Now again, if you're, if you're not a Jesus follower, or maybe you're struggling right now even as a Christian to follow Jesus, those idols that you're chasing after, um, you're ascribing worth to them. If it's your job or your finances or your family or whatever that might be, goals that you have for yourself, those can easily become idols for us because our hearts were created to worship. We as human beings can't not worship. Think about this. There's never a moment in your life when you're not worshiping something. There's never a moment in your life when something doesn't sit on the throne of your heart because you were designed that way. You were designed to worship, and you were designed to worship in an unending way. Now, here's the other reality about the human heart as we're talking about this today. Because we were designed to worship, our hearts are these vacuums, and they'll constantly search for something to worship. 
Which means, in the case here that we're talking about today with the people of Israel, in the absence of the one true God being first place in your heart, your heart and their heart were invaded by idols. You guys with me? Yes or no? If you do not have the God of glory on the throne of your heart, something else will be sucked in and will be worshipped in his place. And that's what we see here. These people that had seen and heard the stories of Yahweh God and the amazing things that he had brought them through, the, the, the times of conquering and conquest that they had done, the times of provision miraculously for food and other things and water. They had rejected the worship of the one true God, and in that process, their hearts had become invaded by idols, and the same is true for you and me today. If God is not number one on your priority list of things in your life, if he's not first place and he's only acknowledged when you need something or when it's convenient for you, or maybe it's only, he's only acknowledged on Sunday morning when you come through the, the doors of the church to, to come and worship, right? then you've got idols in your life. That's the honest assessment. If, if he's only there when you need him, when you run into a problem, then you pull out your little, your little statue, so to speak, the way they would do here. That's a lot of times what we do with the God of glory. We pull him out when we need him. See, what that means, that's indicative of idol worship going on in your heart because in the absence of the unceasing focus on God, the one true God, your heart will be invaded by idols. Now keep going here. Let's keep going in the story. Look at page 204 because God wasn't going to stand for this in the hearts of his people. Page 204, this is 1 Kings 18, verse 19. Elijah says, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. He says, I want everybody together. I want all the people and he wants all the prophets. Look what he says. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. There's our other goddess there who eat at Jezebel's table. What he's saying here is he wants a showdown to take place, and he wants Ahab to supply his best worshipers of these false gods. Now, yes, the people of Israel were definitely worshiping these gods as well, these false gods, these idols. But if anybody could have gotten Baal's attention, it would have been the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. And so he says, bring me your best worshipers, those who, if anybody can catch the ear of Baal and get him to do something, I want those people and tell them to come over here and meet me on the top of the hill on the mountain, okay? So Ahab sent word, it says, throughout all Israel, and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. But then Elijah addresses the people, and he confronts the people of Israel. Look what he says to them. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver, everyone say waver, between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. See, the word waver there as he poses that question, that word waver means you can't have it both ways. What they were doing here, and this is what historians and, the, and theologians agree on, what they were doing here is the people of Israel were worshiping Baal, they truly were, while still professing Yahweh as God. So they were, they were ascribing all the worth with their time and their talent and, their, and their, their mental ability. Everything about their lives was being sacrificed in the direction of Baal, and yet they were saying, yeah, we worship God. Yeah, God's still number one for us. Now, the reason that they were doing this, they were worshiping this idol Baal, was because they really thought that Baal was the one providing for them. They had, again, rejected the God of, of glory. They had rejected Yahweh God. And they were going after this other idol that they really thought was going to keep his promise of providing for them. 
Now, at this time, historians and theologians would also agree that even though the Israelites were in a lot of, they were in the drought because of the withholding of the rain from Yahweh, right? In spite of that, it was still a time of great prosperity for the, for the nation of Israel. They lived in beautiful houses. They drank fine wine. They had the most expensive camels in the driveway. Like, this was a really good time for the people of Israel. And, and so when he confronts them, what he's doing, he's saying, look, you guys are, you're, you're spending your time and, and, and all your energy and your sacrifice towards Baal, but you're saying, yeah, we worship God. He says, look, you can't have it both ways. Doesn't that sound really, really close to what happens in our lives here many times? See, if, you, if someone was to ask you, say, oh, do you love God? Is he first place in your life? Is he priority number one? You say, yeah, I love God. Man, he's first place. I'm a Christian. I go to church every Sunday. God is first place. But if we looked at your life, you're really spending your days worshiping some idol, whatever that one is for you. If we pulled out your checkbook log and your register and we saw how you spent your money, we could probably tell you, yeah, God doesn't look like he's in first place when it comes to the way you're spending your money. It looks like you have another idol that you're following. If we looked at your calendar, pulled out your iPhone, and we looked at your calendar on there, and we said, okay, here's where you're spending all your time. Would it be that you're wavering between two opinions like the people of Israel and you say, yeah, I love God, but you're spending and investing all of you towards this idol, or is God the one true God in your heart? See, that's what he's calling them out on here, and he confronts them. But look at what the people's response is. But the people said, what's the next word? They were comfortable. They liked the way things were going. They liked the way Baal, they thought, was providing for them. And they could still claim the name of Yahweh God, but they liked how Baal was taking care of them. They liked the prosperity that they were experiencing, and they, re they, they resist repenting from their idolatry. And so Elijah says, look, all right, fine. I'm going to show you, 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 won't, you won't respond to the drought. You won't respond to me confronting you with words. Listen, I'm going to show you. I'm going to display a truth for you about your idols, and it's this. Number two, idols will always break your heart. Can we say that together? You ready? Go. Idols will always break your heart. Idols cannot follow through on their promises because they weren't designed to do that. Remember, what did we say an idol is? An idol is a good thing that becomes a God thing, right? It's a misordering of these priorities. Those idols were never designed. The things that we enjoy in our lives outside of God were never designed to be idols, and they'll always leave you disappointed, and they'll always break your heart. Look, Israel finds it out. You ready? Page 204. Then Elijah said, to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Um, let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut him in pieces, put it on the wood, but don't set fire to it. All right, keep the matches in your pocket. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you guys call on the name of your God, and I'm going to call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. They had this much faith that Baal was going to show up and show off in this instance. They really, truly believed. They had placed their faith and their lives in the hands of this idol that they thought was going to do what he had promised to do and take care of them and provide them. They said, hey, that sounds good, Elijah. I mean, we've we, we got a lot of faith in our, in our false god and our idol Baal. Here it goes. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there's so many of you. He's like, you got me outnumbered. You get the first pick. 
call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and they prepared it. And then look what they do. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. Now picture the scene here around this altar. You got the 450 prophets of Baal who aren't getting it done. And then you had these other 400 prophets of Asherah. I, imagine this room, if, ever, if it was standing room only, we could probably fit that 850 people in here. They're all dancing around this altar and shouting and screaming at the top of their lungs. These are the best idol worshipers that Ahab and Jezebel own. These are the best worshipers and they cannot get Baal's attention. They're doing every Thing they possibly can, dancing in this crazy, riotous mass, trying to get his attention. Well, about lunchtime, Elijah gets hungry, so he starts making fun of them. All right, look what it says. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Maybe he's working on his book, you know. Perhaps he's busy or traveling. I think he's at that timeshare he owns in Florida, all right. He's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. See, this is how I know God has a sense of humor because he likes when Elijah does this. I like that, okay. So they shouted louder. Look what they do. Shouted louder. They slashed themselves with swords and with spears. They're cutting themselves, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. So they literally do this all day long. And Elijah's sitting back, scrolling through Instagram, waiting on them to get done with their charade, taunting them, throwing little jabs out at them once in a while. Hey, yeah, guys, keep going, keep going. You know, I'm reading this good article. All day long. The best worshipers of Baal are throwing up things at him, trying to get his attention. Look what the verse says. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. That is exactly what our idols will do in our lives too. See, Baal didn't have the chops. Baal didn't have the power. Baal didn't have the authority to follow through on what he had promised the people of Israel. See, they thought all their favor and the prosperity they had experienced under Ahab's rule as they worshiped and made Baal first place. They attributed it directly to Baal. But what they're seeing here is that idols will always break your heart. They cannot follow through because the good things in our lives were never intended to be God things in our lives. And so anytime we place our lives and we lay our lives down on the altar of some idol, you will always come up at the end of it just like the prophets of Baal. You'll be angry and you'll be screaming and you'll be injured because you've cut yourself and you'll be ashamed and you'll be embarrassed. And if we could go around the room today and share stories, each of you could tell us about a time when you were chasing down something that was an idol to you, and at the end of it, it didn't follow through with the promises that it had made to you. Am I right? I know that's a hard place to say amen, but it's true. And see, the people of Israel found out on this day that these idols have no power because they were never designed to be worshipped. They were never designed to be in first place. They were never intended to sit on the throne of your heart. And they'll always disappoint you and they'll always break your heart. Listen to me. Your spouse makes a terrible God. 
Your children make terrible gods. Some of you need to hear that today, all right? Some of your lives are being owned by your children's activities and sports and whatever else. And I'm not saying don't give them any. Give them opportunities. But there's a fine line between giving opportunities and creating an idol in the things that your kids are involved with. For some of you in the room, listen to me. Your job, your career is a terrible god. These things were never designed to sit in first place on the throne of your heart. And listen to me, they will disappoint you in the end, just like the prophets of Baal were disappointed when their God didn't show up on that day. And we've all probably experienced it at some time or another. You know, your money makes a terrible God. It can be taken away in an instant. It takes one audit from the IRS. It takes one bad business decision. And all that money you've been pouring yourself out on the altar for can be gone in an instant. As much as we love our families, we're not promised tomorrow. Those things can be taken away in an instant. And what happens when those gods are removed from your life? You land disappointed and unfulfilled and ashamed and embarrassed just like the prophet's of Baal. See, idols will always break your heart. They cannot keep their promises because they never were intended to fulfill us. And so Elijah says, hey, look, your God with the little g, your God's got nothing, all right? I've been over here trolling on Instagram and Facebook all day while y'all been dancing around cutting yourselves. Nothing happened. Let me show you what a real God can do. Here's what he says on 205. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name will be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it. He digs this ditch around it, okay? Large enough to hold two seas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and lays it on top of the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. So he wants them to soak this thing, all right? And so they do it. And then he goes, do it again. Do it a second time. And they did it again. He says, do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time so much that the water ran down around the altar and it even filled the trench. See, he's leaving no room here for a magic trick. He's leaving no room here for any hoax where he's planted a match underneath here and he's going to make the fire come. He wants them to know that this fire is coming from God Almighty. And this is what it says. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. Listen to his prayer. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Not Baal. You are God in Israel. And that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. He says, answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you're turning their hearts back again. And then watch what happens. Can you imagine this scene? All these prophets, that like they've had all day to make this happen. And Abraham says one prayer, and all these prophets are sitting back here all nervous about what's going to happen. Because they know what the end is. If they're a false prophet, they're going to be killed, which we're going to see in a minute. They're sitting back, shaking in their boots. And Elijah finishes his prayer. He says, let them know, Lord, that you're God, that you're the one true God. And it says, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, but not just the bull. He burns up the sacrifice, the wood, all the rocks, all the soil, and he licks up all the water in the trench. And all the prophets of Baal and Asherah in unison go, oh no. Fire comes down, 
when all the people saw this, I love the response of the people. They fell on their face. They fell prostrate. And they cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize those false prophets of Baal. Don't let one of them get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley, and they slaughtered them there. I love that part of the story. And the last principle that we see illustrated here is this as we get ready to close. Idols can't simply be removed from your heart. You see, it's not enough to just know that your idol has no power. Because in the story here, the the people of Israel were present for the part where Baal was powerless. The first half of the showdown, they they saw it just like we did. All right, Baal's powerless. Okay, that's good. But it didn't stop there. They didn't declare the Lord, he is God until what? Until they got a fresh glimpse of the God of glory's power in their lives. Baal was rendered powerless, but it wasn't until God showed up and gave them a fresh glimpse that they declared the Lord, he is God. Now, remember earlier when I told you um, our hearts are vacuums, that they're constantly searching for something to worship. Because of that truth, because of the way we're designed, removing a powerless idol isn't enough to fix our hearts. In addition to that, trying harder to not worship idols like Baal or whatever yours is today is not enough either because what happens is the moment you just remove a powerless idol, what happens? Because our hearts are vacuums, we just backfill it with another idol. And what you end up doing is you substitute one idol for another idol if the God of glory is not in the middle of your focus. You guys with me? Listen, I see it all the time um, it, when, when it comes to our health. You have the person that, that worships food, and that, that's, that's a real thing. And worship food and, and eating and, and they're unhealthy and they have like a wake-up call at their doctor one day and the doctor says, look, you've got to get this under control. And so they're like, okay, this is not good for my life. Uh, I've, been, I've, been, I've been really going after this whole food thing and it's like a comfort thing for me and blah, whatever it is. And so they switch from that and they start exercising. And they find out, oh, this feels good too. This is good. This is much better than worshiping food. And so what happens is they begin to, instead of worshiping food, they begin to worship fitness and exercise. And they're the person that wants to tell you that all they do is eat organic and they work out like 10 days a week. You know what I mean? Like, we've all met that person. What has happened? You just substituted one God for another God. You substituted one idol for another. It's the same thing when it comes to your finances. You got the people that want to spend and spend and spend and rack up credit card debt, and they like that whole retail therapy feeling. It feels good to slap down a card and get things as a trade for just slapping down a card. And one day, they go to a class from Dave Ramsey or somebody, and they're like, whoa, Man, this is not healthy. i got to get this thing under control. This is not a good God. This is a powerless God in my life. I need to get rid of it. And so they get rid of it, and they start budgeting really hardcore, and they start saving real hardcore, which, again, that's a good thing, isn't it? But then they become obsessed with that side of it. And then saving and budgets and security in the bank account is their God. Have they really stopped worshiping idols? No. All they did was substitute one for another, right? Thomas Chalmers was a, um, he was a great Scottish pastor and theologian back in the 1700s. And he wrote a message, uh, a sermon called The Expulsive Power of the New Affection. Okay, kind of not words we use often, but think about it with me for a minute. The Expulsive Power of the New Affection. In it, he's talking about how that nobody can change bad habits by trying harder, okay? We can't do it by trying harder. We can't do it by just removing these things from our lives because, or from our hearts, he says, because our hearts are too powerful, Okay, that vacuum we've been talking about today. He says the only way to dispossess it, this is the quote, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is through the expulsive power 
of a new one. He says, we know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world or idols out of our heart than to keep in our hearts the love of God. See, what's he saying there? It wasn't enough for the children of Israel to just see that their God, Baal, was powerless. They needed a fresh glimpse of the power of the one true God. And that's what they saw when Elijah stepped up to that altar and he called down the fire from heaven. And it's the same for us. If all you do is understand the powerlessness of the idol that's been owning you, right? And you say, oh, that's not good for me. If you just remove it or you just try harder, your heart is a vacuum and it'll backfill it with something else. The only way to have victory, the only way to really get the fulfillment that you're looking for in those idols is by placing the one true God of glory on the throne of your heart. Amen? There's no other way. You'll you'll, you'll be frustrated, and some of you in the room maybe have dealt with addictions and things like that for years. These things that have become idols that have, in a sense, owned you. And you've sacrificed parts of your lives to them for many, many years. And you're like, why can't I just get over this? You'll never get over it until your eyes are focused solely on Jesus Christ and the God of glory as number one in first place. You'll never, ever, ever get victory unless God is in first place because otherwise, like we said, you'll substitute one idol for another. And in the story we just read, their focus had been on Baal as the provider for all these things. He was rendered powerless. And then when God showed up and showed off his power to his people again, they got a fresh taste of who God was to them. What did they say? The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And listen, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, when you cherish him supremely, when he's in first place, that's the only way you're going to dispossess idols from your heart. You'll never have victory any other way. You'll just play the exchange game for the rest of your life. And the people here on this day, the people here on this day realize something that you and I need to realize today. No false God can do what the real God can do. I don't care what they've promised you. I don't care what the idol of your heart today has promised you. It cannot follow through on its promises because it was never designed to do it. There is no idol, there's no false God that can do what the real God can do. Listen, false gods and idols in your life, they'll make you promises up one side and down the other, but they'll never be able to fulfill you and follow through in them. See, the people of Israel found this out on this day. Their God was powerless to do what they thought he was doing for them. No matter how shiny the idol is, no matter what they are, no matter what they seem to promise or provide, they'll leave you injured and wanting and unfulfilled. But listen, if you will place the God of glory, Yahweh God, on the throne of your heart today, listen to me, you will get the fulfillment that you've been chasing down in money, in your hobbies, in your comfort, in your bank account, and whatever your idol is, You'll get the fulfillment that you've been promised by those things if you'll run to God again today, just like the people of Israel did on this day in history. Place God in his rightful place, which is first place in your heart, and get the fulfillment that you're looking for. Close your Bibles. I want to wrap up with this. One of the things I I love about when we talk about idols and we talk about the worship of the one true God is this. See, every idol, no matter what it is in your life, Every idol will say, your life for mine. No matter what it is, 
Every idol will say, your life for mine. You sacrifice for me. You give to me. You lay yourself down for me. And if you do that, then I'll give you this thing that I promise you. Am I right? Every idol will say, your life for mine. But listen to what our God said. Our God said, my life for yours. You see, this whole altar thing that we've been talking about here that they're doing, the altar was a place where they offered sacrifices for sin, okay? This is the way God set it up in the Old Testament. They would, they would offer sacrifices for sin on these altars. And on this day in history, fire came down from heaven on this temporary sacrifice. But listen to me. There was another hill, and it wasn't a mountain called Carmel. It was a mountain called Calvary. And on that hill, there was a sacrifice that took place on the altar of a cross. And it was God telling us, I'm going to lay my life down for you. And because of that, we have salvation and freedom from every other idol. You see, the idol that you're chasing today, it says, lay yourself down for me. But our God on Calvary said, I'll lay my life down for you. And in response to the power over sin that day on Calvary, in response to the love that God showed us, that's why we worship Him. And that's how we dispossess the idols in our heart. Amen? When He's in first place, no other idol stands a chance. When He's in first place, you can experience the fulfillment you've been wanting anyway. Put Him in first place the God, Yahweh God of heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, God, we come before you today humbled and thankful for the way you laid your life down for us, Father. You, you truly said, your life for ours. And God, we didn't deserve it. You did it even when we were enemies of the cross, the scriptures tell us. So, Father, in response to that love, as we fix our eyes and our hearts on that love and we cherish you and what you've done, God, dispossess the idols from our hearts and take your rightful place on the throne of our hearts, Father. God, for those in the room today battling addictions and idols of all shapes and sizes, Lord, would you give them victory today? Would you help them once again to fix their eyes on the power and love that rests only in you, the one true God? And help them to stop running after false gods that can never keep their promises. Father, we love you. Again, Lord, help us to leave change today. In Jesus' name, amen.